share a lot of the sentiments or the thoughts that Nate had uh, this morning relating to separation and so forth. Um, that's where my mind was going, and I am uh, deviating from my series on 1 Corinthians this morning, um, partly because of that, several other reasons as well. Um, the other thing that I th realized uh, this week was that uh, while Felisa's dad passed away on Friday morning, Thursday it was three years that Andy Schrock passed away. And, um, and so there's just uh, reminders of that loss and, and grief um, around us. And uh, certainly we want to keep that in mind. But the other aspect of it is we're also in a season of Advent right now. Um, time of anticipating, longing for um, the promise of a Messiah and Savior of the world. And that was ultimately fulfilled by the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so while Jesus fulfilled that promise 2,000 years ago, we're still in a season of Advent. But now we're anticipating, longing for, or awaiting the promised King of Kings to come back and take believers home with him for all eternity. And so while we're in a season of Advent, it's not just about the birth of Christ. It's something far are more about that. Several weeks ago, I had focused on 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the love chapter, which is a beautiful description of agape love and, a, and the reality that agape love truly is supreme. And thinking about Advent, I often wonder why so many Jews knowing about the promise of the Messiah, anticipating the coming of the Messiah 2,000 years ago, why did they fail to see Jesus for who he was? Why did they fail to recognize him as a fulfillment of that promise? And we can't know for certain, but I suspect that one of the reasons that they missed him, missed who he was, was that they did not truly love God. And I find it interesting in John 5, 42, Jesus in speaking to the Jews tried, that the Jews were trying to kill him at this point. And Jesus said, um, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. In uh, That's in the middle of a lar longer uh, dialogue or um, statement that Jesus made, but he makes that statement in John 5, 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And Jesus made it clear that the greatest command is to love God. If that was the case, you know, if people missed Jesus because they failed to love God the first time, when he came the first time, I believe that we need to be paying very close to attention to our own love for God all the more now. Do we love God? And I've entitled this morning's message, uh, Loving God, the Greatest Commandment. I'd like for you, I know that we're not meeting in person this morning and uh, it's not the same. I don't like it, but I would really like for you to actually get your Bibles, have them in front of you and 
We're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture, and I would love to have you follow along and um, and maybe even mark several pa- several of these passages in Scripture as we're going along this morning. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles in Deut- to Deuteronomy 6 to start with. In Jewish history, leading up to the time of Christ, um, the Jews had developed a type of a verbal confession of faith, if you will, expressing the basic statement of the Jewish law. And it was known as the Shema, which is a transliteration of the word Hebrew word uh, here. And the Shema was based on uh, was originally based on five verses from Deuteronomy 6, and then later it was expanded to include additional passages. But I'd like to read those five verses from Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. <clears throat> it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and there shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this gives uh, or stresses the importance of this statement. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's the idea that loving God was to saturate the Israelites' lives, their conversations all day long, um, to the point of having the equivalent of a string around your finger or your wrist as a reminder to not forget to love God or having something dangling between your eyes as a constant visual indicator to remember to love God constantly Um, or painting things on the doorposts of our houses or, you know, indicators on your house and the doorways in your yard, within your house, love God, love God, love God. I mean, that's, they were emphasizing, they were to emphasize it to that degree. And it's interestingly interesting that this confession of faith or this Shema is carried over to the New Testament. Jesus acknowledged and quoted basically this passage in response to one of the scribes that questioned him in Mark 12. So if you turn to Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one, no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw when he that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him more, any more questions. <clears throat> but Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy here. And while you might say that they don't quite mesh with each other, and Deuteronomy says heart, soul, and might. Jesus says heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, the Greek-English lexicon, uh, Luanida, would describe it that this really is talking that these four words are combined to emphasize the totality of the individual. And so in some languages, an equivalent way of expressing this comprehensive aspect of personality is to love him completely with all that you feel and all that you think. And so it's it's all inclusive. It's to the greatest, it's to be to the greatest degree possible. It is loving very exceedingly. And so loving God to the degree that's described in the Shema in Deuteronomy and affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament requires that this is constant, that this be front and center in our lives constantly. You know, it's not enough to remind ourselves of this on Sunday mornings. It's not even enough to think about it every morning before we get out of bed. But loving God is to permeate all aspects of our lives, our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our decisions, our actions, literally every minute of every day. And as the Shema takes root in our life, loving God becomes the core of who I am. It becomes my identity. Other things just don't matter anymore because God matters most, more than anything else. And so a question I have to ask myself, am I really loving God in that way? Am I loving God to the greatest degree possible, loving him very exceedingly? And so we might ask ourselves, how do we love God? Um, you know, I would be alarmed if I asked you, do you love God, if you indicated anything otherwise. At the same time, just saying so doesn't make it a reality. I believe we all want to love God, but how do we do so? Um, I'd like to first briefly consider the characteristics of those that choose to love something other than God. And I think that gives us a little bit of an insight. Timothy warns us that in the last days, these types of attitudes of loving something other than God is going to be pervasive. And we can certainly see this around us today. Uh, I mean, if it was around 2000 years ago, it's, I believe it's even greater today. So turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> and I'd like to read the first five verses here, and this really is the antithesis. It's the opposite of what we should be doing, but I think it gives us a bit of an insight into what we are to be doing as well. Uh, so 2 Timothy 3, 
verses one to five. But understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So here we see this whole list of things that people will be, and he literally contrasts that rather than lovers of God. These people do not love God. And but then he goes on to say that some of these would even have the appearance of godliness. But it wasn't the real thing. And we are to avoid such people. And so uh, there. Yeah, lovers of God is none of these things that precede this. If we truly love God. Then there's two explicit instructions that I found in Scripture, and I think it's the only two that I was able to find that most directly answer this question, how do I love God? And both of them are found in 1 John. And so we're going to look at both of these just uh, a bit here and consider it. So the first, uh, the first point is, or the first way that we love God is by loving our brothers and sisters. First John four, and I'd like for you to turn to First Corinthians, First uh, John, because we're going to be <clears throat> looking at uh, other verses from here too. First John four, verses nineteen to twenty-one. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. There really is no ambiguity about this command, this declaration. Our love for God is mirrored in our actions and attitudes towards those around us, specifically those in the church. And as we've seen, the greatest commandment is to love God. And so um, this elevates our care for our brothers and sisters in the church to that highest level. The second commandment, if you remember what Jesus said, is to love our neighbors. And while that's more than our brothers and sisters within the church, fellow believers, it certainly includes them. Our neighbors expands that to anyone we come in contact with, I would say, or in our interactions. But John is reiterating this second commandment with the first commandments by tying it, by specifically tying our relationship, our love for our brothers and sisters directly to we love God. And maybe the reason for that is, is because those relationships can be some of the most challenging for believers because we know each other so well. We see each other's weaknesses. And 
a lot like a physical family, like siblings in a family. We see those strengths and weaknesses, and we um, we have those uh, family squabbles sometimes, and we don't always get along the best. And that's that's what he's addressing. If if we don't love our brothers and sisters around us, we don't actually love God. The other thing that is important to remember, and we just discussed this in 1 Corinthians not long ago, is in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, it says, but, it is at, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God has put each one of us where he wants, and perhaps for the very purpose to teach us to truly love him. He knows our humanity. He knows the challenge that we have in relating to specific people, but the fact remains, how well we love those most difficult to love reflects our love for God himself. And that's a hard reality. Uh, it's hard for me to think about that. I mean, literally, I think it's fair to say from this statement in 1 John is that to the degree that we least love our brother or sister, that is how much we actually love God and no more than that. Um, and that that's a difficult one to comprehend or to really accept. The second aspect is that we love God by obeying his commandments. And this is found in 1 John 5, verse 3. Again, a pretty explicit statement here. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. There are a lot of commands, instructions, imperatives given throughout the New Testament. We show our level of love for God in how we respond to those instructions. God gave those instructions for our good to help us and out of his incredible love for us. And if we disregard or minimize any of these, we are essentially telling God, I really do know better than you, so I will do it my way. And again, sometimes seeing the opposite uh, helps us better understand what we really ought to be focused on or what want to be focusing on understanding what the enemy of God looks like versus a friend of God or um, one that loves God may give us a bit of a picture there. Uh, James 4, I want to read the first 10 verses of James chapter 4. <clears throat> and we see this contrast here, and it gives us a little bit of uh, insight into this. James 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? talking to believers, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you suppose it to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that has made us to dwell, made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter and be t- turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here James is reminding us that friendship with the world system, with Satan's kingdom, is in complete opposition to God and is, in fact, enmity with God himself. It works directly against God. And then he goes on to say that God opposes the proud. I don't know about you. I have no desire to be an enemy or to be opposed by Almighty God. Um, There's just no match. I don't know why we would ever want to be in that type of a position. But then he gives an alternative, some alternatives here. And and so James wraps up this rather uh, scathing accusations or uh, statements here by turning it around and saying, instead, you ought to be doing this. And he gives a list of instructions or commandments, seven imperatives for us to cultivate in our lives. And this certainly is not comprehensive, but it gives us a kind of a high level view of of some important concepts. First of all, he says, submit to God. Do what he asks. Don't question his authority. Submit to God's authority and what he what he requires of us. Secondly, resist the devil. Satan has far less power than the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And we need to remember that. Um, at the same time, we don't uh, compromise with the devil, compromise with evil. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. And I believe that God does want us to hate the evil. He wants us to hate evil. He wants us to resist the devil. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we uh, love our neighbors any less. Uh, but it's 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 the devil that we are resisting. Then he continues in James 4, draw near to God. Uh, when we're drawing nearer to God, we're going to relationally be closer to him. We're going to be understand him better. And uh, it, our love is deepened as we draw closer to God. And we can do this in a lot of ways. I mean, we can read scripture, meditate on our prayer. There's other ways as well that we draw near to God. Then he says, cleanse your hands. And uh, paired with the next one, purify your hearts, feels like cleanse your hands has to do with actions. You know, be honest about our shortcomings. When we fail in our actions, confess and repent and turn away from, from the sin. Purify your hearts. This has more to do about our attitudes. You know, many people have no idea what's truly in our hearts, but God does. And he he knows 
what is actually going on in our heart and ask God to purify those dark and secret corners of your life that perhaps no one else knows about. And then be wretched or afflicted. And I think that that has to do with calling sin what it is. When there's sin in our lives, let's call it out. Let's name it. There's no excuses. Be sorrowful about it. Repent. Confess it. Uh, turn away from it. Turn around. Um, but we're to be sorrowful about those that sin that's in our lives. And then the last thing he has uh, in this list in James 4 is to humble ourselves. And by humbling ourselves, it means that we see ourselves as we really are. It's being honest about and with ourselves. It's seeing ourselves as God sees us. Not something more and, and neither something less, but truly seeing us as God sees us. And so these are seven postures, um, seven things that James outlines that I believe help us communicate our love to God, our love of God to him. Uh, as we obey, as we keep his commandments, as we incorporate these types of uh, postures and attitudes into our lives, we are telling God, we love you. We care about what you say. We want to do what you ask of us. We don't earn anything from God by obeying his commands. He loves us whether we're obeying or not. It doesn't change it. But for us to claim that we love him and disregarding what he has instructed us to do just completely undermines our claim to love him. Rather than showing our deep love and gratitude, we end up communicating that our perspective supersedes God's best design and plan for our lives when we, when we disobey, when we overlook his commandments. So the question, do you love God? Find it interesting that Jesus asked Peter a question like this three times in John 21, asking Peter this about Jesus. This was after Peter had denied him three times and abandoned him several days earlier. And in a lot of ways, I believe God is asking us those same questions repeatedly as well. And the way that these questions are recorded in Scripture is the first time Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And uh, there's discussion or there's been debate about what these means. I'd like to just say God is asking us, do you love me more than fill in the blank? Anything else in our lives? Do you love me more than this? And then... The second and the third time, Jesus again asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And I believe God is wanting to ask us that question again and again to just remind us, do we truly love him? Is there anything that we love more than God? Kind of wrapping this up, 
I'd like to just read from First John, turning me turn uh, to First John four, but for us to understand, for us to want to and truly love God, and to be able to truly love God is to understand that God is love. Truly loving God involves our entire being and far more than we have the capacity to do in our own strength. It requires the Holy Spirit's supernatural wisdom, strength, and ability to actually love God by loving our brothers and sisters, to love God by obeying his commandments. But in all of this, let's not forget that God, forget the love that God has already shown toward us and his perfect example of that toward us. And I'm going to just read, um, it's kind of, it is overlapping two chapters, but both of these sections really emphasize God's love. And uh, just notice the frequency with which the word love is used in, the, in these verses. John is emphasizing love. Uh, God's love for us, as well as our importance then to love each other uh, because of God's love for us. And starting in verse 7 and then reading through verse 5 of chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, that we have loved God. I'm sorry, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love the his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? God is love. Love is repeated literally 33 times in these verses. I encourage you to read, reread, meditate on these verses and just consider what my response should be toward God and what my response is toward God and others. They, I don't believe that there is genuine love, any genuine love apart from God himself. He loves us. But notice it's not because we love him. In verse 10, it says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And uh, and so he loves us, but it's not because we we love him. We cannot love apart from God. And allowing his love toward us empowers us to love others as well as obey his commandments. So in conclusion, God is love. The greatest commandment, beginning with Moses and the Israelite, love God with everything within your whole being. And then Jesus' teaching validates that great commandment. John emphasizes or clarifies it even more. We love God by loving our brothers and sisters. We love God by obeying his commandments. There's not a shortcut. There's not an alternative. If we fail to love our brothers and sisters, or if we fail to obey his commandments, we don't love God. Two verses, uh, just to wrap this up, from Jude and 1 Corinthians 2. From Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's truly love God by loving those around us as well as obeying his commandments.